This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. This Torah class is brought to you by torahanytime.com. So I'd like to share this story about this woman. It's an amazing story about someone who wasn't careful with the individuals who were who were, you know, having an effect and influence on her. I know it contains a message that I mustn't keep to myself because the number of women who are going the way I did is growing all the time. I came from a traditional family, not observant. Initially, we weren't very observant, but since my parents sent us all children to religious schools in Israel, we gradually became a religious family. I was an exceptionally good girl, a real tzaddikis, a righteous girl, and I stayed that way as I grew up. I'm telling the truth about this, and I'm going to tell the truth about what came later, although it's not so complimentary as to, as to being a compliment for myself. I married a Ben Torah, a religious boy, from a fine religious family. We both had high aspirations to build a home solidly based on Torah values, and we wanted to raise our children accordingly. We were so pure, we were so innocent. How I wish I could have that innocence again. We had six children, closely spaced. My husband was a model husband, I was a model wife. He was the king in our home, I was the queen. We would sit and learn Torah together. We were devoted to each other's needs, and together we were devoted to our children. For 10 years it was like that. Today I look back on those years, and I yearned for the life that I had. But we needed money. Unfortunately, like many families, we just had a hard time making the month. And I found a job with a company that paid a good salary. Some of the women who worked there were religious, some were not religious. For the first month that I was in, the, in my job, I focused on working for my paycheck and nothing more. I didn't socialize with anyone. I was nice, courteous, but that, nothing more than that. I came in, I did my work, I didn't chat with my co-workers beyond what was necessary for the job and basic courtesy. And at the end of the workday, I went home to my husband and children. And then, and then, Esther came into my life. Esther was a non-religious woman in her 50s. A kind soul who acted like a mother, a mother to all us younger women. She had no children of her own. In fact, she'd never been married. And she lavished all her maternal warmth on us in the office. Esther found a place in my heart. I became good friends with her. And don't ask me how, but eventually she drew me into her world. Not that she preached anything against religion. She simply told me about her life. And it wasn't that her life was exotic or glamorous, but as she told me about it little by little, she influenced me. She influenced my worldview. I wasn't even aware it was happening. It was going on so insidiously. Now I have to say something, during my high school years, we had girls in school that did bad things, but I was on the lookout, so I was on the defensive, so I was, I was careful to make sure that they didn't corrupt or influence me. There I was aware of it, when it was with Esther, I didn't realize the effect that she was having on me. Now the enticement of the secular world was coming from a woman who could have been my mother, and those defenses just weren't there, like they were in high school. Why, why would I put up God against someone who looked and acted like such, like she was my mother? So she was, I trusted her. After a couple of years of this, my hashkafas or my outlook became completely eroded. Secular books, music and movies became part of my life. I would spend hours discussing this material with Esther. At home, I continued playing my role robotically, but no longer with the same pure hearted dedication. I had turned into a two-faced woman. One day, my husband happened to notice songs on my iPod that weren't to his liking. He was shocked. Such things were not part of our life. I reacted with the most defensive, effective defense. I attacked him. In the course of that argument, all my new opinions come rushing out into the open. I can do whatever I please, I said to my husband. You're not going to ruin my life or tell me what to do. 
Only my husband's stunned expression alerted me to the fact that such words had never been said between us ever before. I had already been corrupted and I wasn't even aware of it. From there, things only became more entangled. I talked with Esther about what was happening at home. And she, who never had been married, gave me advice how to put my husband in his place. My husband was completely baffled. It was as if someone had changed the combination to the safe. His wife became inaccessible. He didn't recognize me. He didn't know what had gone into me and he couldn't talk to me. A year of fighting wore down the bond we nurtured so carefully. And one day I packed up, took the children with me, and moved back to my parents. Eventually, after the painful arbitration, our divorce settlement was finalized. What a tragedy. What an incredible tragedy. We were to share custody of the children, and they were to be brought up according to the guidelines of the court. After that, there was some tension, and we had the usual post-divorce situation. Kids coming to me, going to him, etc., and I, I, my, in, the inter, in the interim, my husband started a new household, got remarried. But I entered a phase of my life that I would give a life, only I could erase it. And now I want to make an editorial comment. The woman writes, Welcome to the world of single parenting. You don't want to ever be there. Believe me. And if you had any alternative, don't go there. I won't elaborate. I'll just say that thousands of divorced women are going around today in terrible states spiritually, socially, and financially. And if you have any questions, you can talk to me privately. I deal with a lot of divorced women. And it's sad to say how spiritually they erode, how, how much they decline, how many tests they have to deal with, how many times they're challenged, how many times their ethics are challenged. Most of the new friends I met had initiated their divorces, and as I had. And in most cases, their husbands never wanted to get divorced. A respected rabbi told me that our readiness to choose divorce these days is an excellent indicator of the change that has taken place from one generation to the next. In previous generations, he tells me, a woman feared divorce, but not today. Go and ask your friends, the rabbi said. Are they enjoying their single life? I don't think so. From the vantage point of five years later, would they make the same decision if they, had to go, if they could go back in time? The truth is, aside from certain unusual cases, most agree that if they had time, made time to make the effort, they might have been able to bridge the gaps between their husbands and come to an understanding rather than resort to the extreme step of divorce. It hurt me to see how attached my children were to their father. Once my, my oldest son, who was now 15, said to me, Mama, Ima, I love you very much, but I remember the great life we lived until I was nine. I missed the mother that I once had. I then came to understand what he was talking about, and I started to cry and cry hard. Those words touched something that was still in my heart, covered over as it was with weeds. Something that cried out, What happened to me? What happened to me? Where's the... One little tzaddeket that I once used to be. Ten more years passed. My former husband had three more children with his second wife. I must admit that she behaved really nicely with me. She never spoke a word of Lashon Hara or gossip against me to the children, even if I wasn't so careful to be so nice to her. And whenever I would dump the kids on them, and that happened a lot, because I would often go to have a good time out, pick them up, without reproaching them and treating them very nicely. Sometimes I felt jealous of her. I had been in her place... And I decided to cop out. But thoughts like that only brought on the will to stop thinking. But then, she got sick with cancer. And I was forced to take care of the children myself. And I took care of not only my six, but her three. I would help her a lot, because she was in the hospital for two years. And for the next two years, she spent more time in the hospital than at home. It was a very difficult time, and everyone could clearly see that it wasn't heading in a good direction. I'd bring her kids to visit her in the hospital. And we would talk more and more, and we got close. One day when I came with my 16-year-old son, she asked him to wait downstairs because she wanted to talk to me privately. 
Once we were alone, she began to speak to me. And it was obvious that she'd rehearsed what she wanted to say. And she said, Sahava, I know that my days are numbered. I'm not going to be living for much longer. And I'll be leaving behind my husband and nine children. I want to thank you for being so decent to me, she said. Zahava, I know you could have ruined our lives, and you didn't. But there's something more important I want to tell you. Something very important. A woman knows her husband. A woman's heart knows her husband. I want you to know that my husband never forgot over the hurt of having the wife of his youth walk out on him. That he still thinks about you, a lot. He never spoke about it to me except once, during the short time we were engaged. When I pressed him about it. But a wife doesn't need her husband's words. She senses what her husband feels. I won't go into what happened. But I'll tell you, for the good of my husband and the good of my children. Once I leave this world, I want you to remarry him. Of course, the most important thing is what's good for you. But I'd like you to think about it. That's my honest wish. I was overwhelmed by her graciousness. I cried and embraced her for a long time. Murmuring words of appreciation. I came out of the hospital room with my thoughts in a jumble. I couldn't communicate with my son. And when we got home, I shut myself up in my room. The next week, we received the news that my husband's second wife had returned her soul to her creator. I attended the funeral. And during the shiva, I provided meals for her husband and children. After the 30 days of mourning was over, a messenger came. A rabbi we both knew. And he told me that the deceased had written in her will that she'd like her husband to marry his first wife again. I started to cry, and I told him I already knew about this. She'd spoken to me about it shortly before she passed away. I told him the answer was yes, an emphatic yes. I decided to straightforward, be straightforward about my intentions. I already paid a high enough price for ego games. I know it sounds strange, but after that, we had a few dates, my husband and I. We talked about what happened and closed the door in the past. I wanted to tell him about the spiritual low point I had fallen to, but he didn't want to hear about it. He only wanted to know if I had any aspiration to go back to becoming the wife that I used to be. We remarried. My husband fulfilling the rare mitzvah of remarrying the woman he had divorced. Nine years later, we had a united, blended family. Nine children. Three of them married. One might say that the wound has been sewn up and healed. Yet for me, the scar remains. And that's how it's going to be because I'm not willing to forget what I went through. I need to hold on to that reminder of how much a person has to guard himself from bad and corrupt influences in order to stay on the path of Judaism, in order to stay on the path that their soul truly desires. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.